When I say the word devoted, what comes to your mind? What are some of the things that come to your mind when I say the word devoted? Is it maybe some of these things? Let's go to the next slide here. Maybe you think of some of these things when you think of devoted. Maybe you think of some Carolina fans, right? Or some Duke fans, right, at Cameron? Or maybe some crazy football fans. Maybe you think of somebody who's devoted as a devoted fan. Maybe that's some of the things that you think about. Somebody who goes to the games, who paints their bodies, who supports their teams. But what does it mean to be devoted to something? Ah, no, I didn't have room. I thought about it. Sorry. I know, I know. Maybe you think maybe you think of some of these things when you think of somebody who is devoted. Maybe you think of a devoted spouse or a devoted friend. When we're devoted to something, we will spend our energy and our investments and our time and our money into the things that we are devoted to. And I would say the things that we are devoted to uh, will most likely change everything about who we are. The truth is, though, that all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, are devoted to something. The question that we must answer today and every single day is, what are we devoted to? Because the truth is, this is how God has created us. We are His creation, and we have been created to worship. The problem is, when we worship other things than what we were created to worship. We worship ourselves, we worship money, we worship stuff, we worship titles, we worship even ourselves. And anytime that we put something else in God's place, we actually end up doing damage to ourselves because this is not what we have been created for. And the things that we worship are shown through our devotion to those things. The things that we worship are shown through our devotion. You can say whatever you want to with your mouth, but you show me where you spend your time and your talents and your money, and I'll show you what you worship. Because the things that are important to us, the things that we worship, are the things that we spend our time and our talents and our energy and our money on. We all are devoted to something. The question is, what are you devoted to? Today we come to our end of our study of the first two chapters of the book of Acts. And we have seen how God started this movement here in Acts chapter 2. But this movement continues even to this day. And we get to be a part of this movement. And this movement is called the church. It started here in Acts, but it continues even to this day. But this is how... This movement began. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. Acts is the uh, fifth book of the New Testament. comes right after John and right before Romans. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a copy of one. We have some on the back table. Please take one as a gift from us. Um, We have been seeing how uh, the early church has started. And so far in the book of Acts, we have seen that the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation for everything that we are and everything that we do as believers and as the church. It changes our actions. It changes our life. It changes our faith because Jesus died and rose from the grave and he gave us many convincing proofs of these truths. And we are called to be his witnesses. 
in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, in our schools, and even to the ends of the earth. And last week, we saw that our first response is to the fact of who Jesus is, is to repent of our sins and to be baptized. And so today, we're going to see what those people, the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost that we saw last week, who responded to who Jesus is with repentance and baptism, we're going to see what they did next. And it's going to show through the things that they were devoted to. So read along with me in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start there in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves, that they is those 3,000, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and their possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So let's pause there and kind of break down some of the things that we just read. So Jesus had spent nearly three years and then another 40 days after his resurrection teaching his apostles, his 12 closest guys, about the kingdom of God. We saw that in chapter 1. Jesus also told these guys that the things that they bound and the things that they loosed on earth would be loosed and bound in heaven. Jesus has spent nearly three years and then another 40 days completing these guys' training. He was making his disciples. These 12 guys, these apostles, were then doing what Jesus had done to them and passing on all the things that Jesus had shown them and taught them through these past three years. They were passing on these teachings to other people. They were literally teaching mouth to ear, just the same way that Jesus had done for them teaching them all that Jesus had taught them. And then it wasn't until later that they began to write down these things that Jesus taught. Now, you and I, we actually have the things that the apostles taught about Jesus right here in the New Testament. We call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were the teachings about Jesus, about his life, about the things that he taught, about the things that he did, about his miracles that he performed about his life, his death, and his resurrection. And we have it recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were the eyewitness accounts of these apostles. And then in the book of Acts that we've started to, be, to study right now, actually tells us the history of what the followers of Jesus did after he ascended to the Father. They tell us how they responded to who he is. And then what we have in the rest of the New Testament is, is a bunch of different letters and books written to the early church to continue their teaching, to correct their, uh, their wrong thinking and their wrong teaching, uh, to encourage them further, to address specific issues that came up within the church. And then the New Testament closes out with the book of Revelation where God uh, reveals this vision to John of what was to come when the kingdom of God was fully restored one day. Now these things in the New Testament are what the apostles taught. The early believers were devoted 
to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to these things. These things were meant to be read and to be studied and to be practiced. These aren't just some ambiguous writings that are fun for us to read, but they are God's Word, literally breathed God's Word that transforms our thinking and our speaking and our living from what we do with our time and our talent, our energy, our money, and our relationships, and so much more. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The New Testament, along with the Old Testament, are literally God-breathed. God, through the Holy Spirit, has inspired these writers to pass on His truths and His commandments for us to live by. And they're useful for teaching us how to live, and how to think, and how to speak, and how to act. They're useful for rebuking us when we aren't living and thinking and speaking and acting the way that God wants us to. They're useful for correcting us into the right living and thinking and speaking and acting the way that God intends us to. They're useful for training us in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped for all that God has laid out before us. Friends, it amazes me how transformative reading and studying God's Word can be in our lives. It also surprises me so much that we, as followers of Jesus in America, don't read His Word. It's crazy that if we would just open this thing up, and read it on a regular basis, it would transform our lives. And yet we don't. Do you know only 9% of pastors have read this from cover to cover? That's just pastors. And yet if we would engage in Scripture at least four times a week, we would see massive transformation in our life. We don't have to like be scholars of the Bible. If we would just simply open it up and read it, God works through His Word and through the Holy Spirit to change and to transform us, and yet we leave it sitting on our nightstand, unopened. The early believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching because they understood that this was God's Word, that it was God-breathed, and it was useful for changing them and transforming them into the people that God wanted them to be. So if we are going to be like this early, these early followers, then we too need to be devoted to God's Word. So where do we start? Well, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, man, we would love to give you a copy of God's Word. You need a reliable and easy-to-read translation of God's Word. I, I preach from the, uh, the NIV, the, um, the New International Version. I read from the New American Standard on, uh, in the mornings. Uh, the ESV is a great translation. Uh, there's a lot of great translation. I love what Jeff Malt, one of our elders, says. 
He says, what's the best translation to use? The one that you're actually going to read. <laughs> that's the best translation. To get, get a translation that you can read that's easy to understand and read it. Start reading it daily. Start reading it daily. If you're not reading God's Word daily, then we're not devoted to it. And if we read God's Word daily, it will change us. <laughs> it will transform us. We don't have to add anything else to it. We just got to read it daily. Later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, we see a group of believers that were in this town called Berea, and they were examining Scripture every single day to make sure that what Paul, who was an apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, they were checking what he was teaching them. <laughs> they were examining Scripture every single day to make sure that what Paul was teaching them, what everybody else was teaching them, lined up with God's Word. And so we as Journey Church have actually set that as one of our goals as a church, that we want to be like the Bereans, that we want to be a people that is examining Scripture every single day. We want to be like the Bereans, that we are engaging in God's Word, not just once or twice a week, but every single day, so that God can work to transform us. Now, at the same time, we can read God's Word, and we can know what it says, and yet not do what it says. And when we do, what's the point? You see, it's not just about filling our heads with more knowledge, but it's about allowing that knowledge to transform our minds and our hearts, and that will tra transform our actions and the way that we live. This book gives life. And we have almost unlimited access to it, so we need to read it. Not everything that's in here is simple to understand or easy to grasp, so we must not only read it, but we must study it. We must make it a priority of our lives to dig into it. I've shared this before, but one of the things that I try to do, and I'm not perfect in this, don't, don't, I don't stand up here like that I've got everything all together, but what I try to do every single morning, before I even pick up my phone, because if I pick up my phone, then I'm done. I'm distracted, I'm scrolling, I'm doing everything else. So before I even pick up my phone, I try to pick up this thing. And before I consume what's on Instagram and Facebook, I try to consume what God has told me and spoken to me through His Word. We need to daily be engaging in God's Word. Here at Journey Church, we put it this way. We say that we grow by studying the Bible together. We increase our desire to know the inspired and errant Word of God, but we don't stop there. Right? It doesn't just stop with knowing that this is God's Word, that it's Him that is breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we humbly obey its truth in every, everyday life. It's not just about knowing it, but it's about doing it. It's about living it out. It's not just about knowing it, it's about humbly obeying it every single day. So put it by your bed. And before you even get out of bed, pick it up and read it. Maybe when you go to the bathroom, have one sitting there so you can sit there and read instead of scrolling Facebook. When you're sitting at the table, fill your life with God's Word. When you're at lunch, before you go to bed, when you're driving down the road, fill your life with God's Word. But don't just know it. Obey it. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were getting ready to go into this promised land that God had, was bringing them to. He had rescued them from Egypt and for 40 years had wandered through the 
through the wilderness, and finally, they were going into the promised land. And so God wants to prepare them to enter into the promised land. And so, so for them to be prepared to go into this promised land, they would need to be reminded of who God is and how to stay faithful to Him. And so God speaks to Israel, and He says this in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He wants to remind them of who He is and what they should do in response to that. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. This is what they are to do. Okay, Because of who God is, they were to love Him with everything that they are. Right? How could they do that? Verse 6 tells us, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. If they were going to love God with everything that they were, then they needed to have His Word on their hearts. And then He tells them how to do that too. Right? Verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Are you getting this imagery here? God was telling them, to to have his word on their hearts. And in order to have it on their hearts, they needed to fill their days with God's word. Parents, if you want to have God's word impressed on your heart, teach it to your children. There's no better way for you to learn God's word than for you to teach it to your children. Fill your lives Fill your days with God's Word. Let it be the first thing that you consume in the morning. Let it be the last thing that you think about at night. Let it be the thing that you discuss on the way to school, on the way to work, around the lunch table. Allow God's Word to fill your life. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Are we? The second thing that they were devoted to was fellowship. So what is fellowship? Is that where we eat? That's what I thought growing up. Man, I always thought that fellowship meant eating. Because that's what we did. We had a fellowship hall where we'd go to eat in, right? (laughs) I didn't realize that fellowship was actually so much more than just this. But the early church, they were devoted to fellowship. The writer of Hebrews gives us some great insight to what fellowship actually is. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promises faithful. Okay, That's our objective. What we want to do, we want to hold on to the hope that we profess. Unmoving. And then he tells us how to do that. Next verse. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's part of fellowship. Not giving up the meeting together. It's part of fellowship. As some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. All the more as we see the day approaching. This is what fellowship is. Fellowship is us meeting together, being together. It's us encouraging one another. It's us spurring one another on to love and good deeds. This should be what happens when we gather together, not just on Sunday morning, but daily what happens when we gather with other followers of Jesus. So first, we must meet together. We must not give up meeting together. Now friends, 
here at Journey Church, we don't take attendance. We don't even count how many people we have on Sunday morning because we don't care about that stuff. What we do care about is you. What we do care about is you. And we know, not only from Scripture, but from real-life example, that when we neglect meeting together with other followers of Jesus, not just on Sunday mornings, but in life groups and in daily life, it's very hard for us to hold on to the hope that we profess unmoving. We say this all the time, and maybe you think it's just cliche, but we need each other because we are better together. And so when we give up meeting together, as in the habit of some, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, we have a hard time holding on to the hope that we profess. But when we meet together, we need to make sure that we also are meeting together to have fellowship with each other, to encourage each other, to spur one another on. And that also means that we hold each other accountable to what God has called us to be and to do. We should be holding each other accountable with God's word and love so we can live and act and think the way that God wants us to. Here at Journey Church, we say it like this, that we build strong relationships, walking side by side through the messiness of life with prayer, accountability, and encouragement. And friends, this happens not just here on Sunday mornings, but this happens outside of Sunday mornings. We can't just do this one hour a week. It's not enough. In fact, one of our other goals here as Journey Church is the other six. We want all of us to be connected with other followers of Jesus, the other six. We want to have, have fellowship with other followers of Jesus. And one of the things that you'll learn about us, if you don't already know this, about us as Journey Church is, hey, like we love that you're here, but we don't care that you're here. We just care that you're connected with other followers of Jesus. Whether it's here on Sunday mornings with Journey Church or another church down the road or wherever, we just want you to be connected with other followers of Jesus. We don't care if you're connected to one of our five life groups that we have at Journey Church as long as you are connected with other followers of Jesus because it is essential for us to be devoted to fellowship. We need each other. We can't hold on to the hope that we profess without one another. We are better together. When we neglect encouraging one another and holding one another accountable, when we neglect praying with one another, we will find what the writer of Hebrews tells us next. Look at the next verse in verse 26. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left for us. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Why in the world are these two sections of verses together? Well, what I've seen in people's lives is that when they neglect meeting together, when they separate themselves away from the body of believers, they soon find themselves back in sin once again and are unable to be led to repentance because they don't have a brother or sister that is encouraging them, that is holding them accountable, that is praying for them. 
Friends, if we are not in fellowship with other believers, we will be unable to deal with our sin problems. We need each other because we are better together. Carl Kuhl wrote this in his book, Bloodstained Pews. He said, there's two things about the church. Two promises that I'll make to you about the church. The church will let you down. That's the first promise. The second one is this. The church is what you need. The church will let you down. And the church is what you need. Friends, we need each other. Even when we let each other down. We need each other because we are still better together. We is what we need. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. But they also were devoted to breaking of bread. See, Thomas, it is about eating. <laughs> it is about eating. Well, what did Luke mean when he said breaking of bread? Well, I think verse 46 gives us some great context and insight to what this means. Look again at, at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So it seems like that these early followers of Jesus were enjoying fellowship with each other, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on, on Wednesdays or Thursdays, but every single day. Daily, they were meeting together. Daily, they were sharing their meals together. And it seems like that as they were sharing their meals together, they were also taking time to remember and devote themselves to breaking of bread. Now, that breaking of bread is something that we see out throughout the New Testament as a, another title for what we may call communion or the Lord's Supper. The early followers of Jesus were devoted to the Lord's Supper because this was a reminder to them of what actually brought them together. And it wasn't the meal that they were sharing. It wasn't because they agreed on everything. What brought them together wasn't their theology or their service to the community. What brought them together was Jesus Christ. And so, they devoted themselves to be reminded of their foundation. N.T. Wright said that when Jesus wanted to explain to his followers the meaning of his death, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. So communion reminded them of what brought them together. And it wasn't because they were neighbors or because they had similar interests, but what brought them together was the body and blood of Jesus. And it seemed like this was happening every single day for these early believers. They were doing life together. They were sharing their meals together. And while they were sharing their meals at some point, it seems that they were also breaking bread through the Lord's Supper together, probably on a daily basis. But you know, soon, the church started to lose sight of what communion was actually about, what the Lord's Supper was actually about. And so Paul had to write to a church, a church in Corinth, about not just communion, but a lot of other things that they were messing up and getting wrong. But about communion was one of them, about their gathering together. And so he writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 17, he says this, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings are doing more harm than good. Ouch. 
their meetings together were doing more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt, there has to be, uh, there have to have differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. Insert sarcasm here. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, and as a result, one person remains hungry and another person gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. The Corinthian church had lost sight of what brought them together. You see, what their foundation was, was not themselves, but it was Jesus. And they had turned their gatherings and this partaking in the Lord's Supper together into something that it was not supposed to. It became very self-centered and self-selfless, or self, uh, selfish. They weren't caring for one another, and they certainly weren't thinking about Jesus. They were simply partying. One would get drunk and others would go hungry. The early church, day by day, they met together from house to house. and They broke bread. They remembered the foundation of what brought them together, and it was Jesus. Not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day. And so, friends, when we gather together, we need to do like Paul tells the Corinthians later in chapter 11, so that we don't fall into the same trap that the church in Corinth did, and think that when we gather together that it's about us, because it's not about us, it's about Jesus. So that's why Paul, later on in chapter 11, says, but when you partake, make sure you do so in a, a worthy manner. And then he tells us how to make sure that we are preparing ourselves. He says, examine yourself before you partake in the Lord's Supper. Because when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we are partaking it together. And we are proclaiming together. What brings us together is Jesus. And we are proclaiming that with our actions. You know, there aren't a lot of things that we do as the church that really testify and show our unity as much as the Lord's Supper does. When we sing worship songs, and there's power in that. And that's why it's important for us that whether you can sing or whether you're like me and you can't, it's important for us to sing out these words because we are testifying as a group of believers that these truths about God that we're singing about. Or we are saying together to God these songs that we are singing. There's power in that. There's power when we serve together for a common mission. There's power in that. It shows our unity. And then when we partake in the Lord's Supper, you see, we do that together. And we testify, we proclaim, as Paul says, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And so, to make sure that we are devoted to breaking of bread and, and not making it something that it's not supposed to be like the Corinthians were doing, we must examine ourselves, confess our sins to God, and then when we're ready, we can partake together because we proclaim together what our foundation is. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and then to prayer. 
Richard Foster writes in his book, Celebration of Disciplines, to pray is to change. You probably heard me say this a bunch. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. And if we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic in our lives. Friends, prayer is about God aligning our hearts and our minds and our wills with His, not the other way around. It's not about trying to get God to do our will, but it's about God getting us to do His will. That's what prayer is about. It's about us submitting our lives and our thoughts and our wills to God. To pray is to allow God to transform our lives and our thinking and our speaking and our actions. We pray, Father, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask God to forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven others. We ask God to provide for our needs both physically and spiritually. He is the owner of all. We ask God to align our wills with His. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in prayer, we give worship to who God is and all that He has done. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. How in the world can we do that? How can we pray continuously? Well, prayer should be a part of every part of our day. The early church was devoted to prayer. Are we? Prayer should be the first thing that we do when we wake up. Prayer should be what we do when we drive to work, while we're at work, and as we go about our day. Prayer should be our first response and our last resort and everything in between. Prayer should be a part of every decision, every problem, and every action, every thought that we have in our life. We should pray for others, and we should pray also with others. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 to take everything to God in prayer, to make our request known. These early believers, they were devoted to God's Word. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper, to breaking of bread, and they were devoted to prayer. The question that we must answer is, are we? Are we? When the early believers here in Acts chapter 2 were devoted to these things, this is what we see happen. Verse 44, there was unity there. Verse 47, the community noticed them. They wanted to see what was going on and wanted to be a part of that. And the more people that wanted to be a part of that, the more people came to know and to follow Jesus as a result. Now notice again in verse 44, what's it say? It said, those that were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Notice that this can't be done alone. They were all together. All the believers were together and were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship and breaking of bread together. Friends, I've heard this. Sadly, I've seen this. You cannot be a follower of Jesus by yourself. You need other followers of Jesus. You can't be devoted to God's word, to fellowship, to communion, to prayer alone. We need to be together, 
for this. Sunday morning should spark our weeks, but we need to be connecting daily to one another. Again, one of our goals here is for us to be connecting daily with other believers the other six days of the week, not just on Sunday mornings. Here at Journey Church, we say that we connect with each other. We also say that we grow in Scripture together. We need each other because we are better together. We need to be all together so that we can have unity. Not that we agree with everyone else on everything else, but we are agreeable. And even though we are diverse, we have unity in our diversity. And when those around us see us being the church that God has called us to be, they will want to be a part of that, and they want to know, what are you guys doing as the early church was? Jesus told us that the world wouldn't know us by our correct theology, even though that's important. Jesus didn't say the world would know you because of your service to others, even though we should be doing those things. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his followers by our love for each other. These early believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer together. Are we? Are we? Journey Church, let's be a people that is devoted to God's Word. Let's be a people who is devoted to true fellowship, to encouraging one another, to holding one another accountable, to spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Let's be a people who is devoted to remembering what our foundation is. What brings us together is Jesus and His sacrifice and His resurrection. Let's be a people that is devoted to breaking of bread. Let's be a people that is devoted to prayer for and with each other. This is what the early church did. We should as well. We pray with me. Father, we thank you for the love and the sacrifice that you've given us through your Son. We thank you that you have not put us here alone, but that you have given us each other. Not only have you given us each other, but you've also given us a purpose. You have told us what we need to do to worship you with our lives. Father, we may be mistaken in thinking that all these things are for you, and they are for you, but they are for our good. <laughs> you want us to be engaged in your word because it's through your word that you transform us and we actually are able to live a better life, the life that you have created us for. Father, you have called us to be connected with other followers of Jesus because you know how much we need to be connected with other people, to share a purpose and mission together, and to find encouragement and prayer, to find accountability. And Father, you know how forgetful we are, and so you've given us this constant reminder of the Lord's Supper to help us to remember that it's not about us, but it's about you and about what you have done. So that we can be reminded of the foundation that you have built your church upon, the sacrifice and the resurrection of your son Jesus. 
Father, you've told us to be devoted to prayer because it's in through prayer that you transform us as individuals, us as families, and us as your church. Father, you know that we will give up on prayer if we are unwilling to change and to have you transform us. So, Father, help us like this, these early believers. Help us to be a people who are devoted to these things. We thank you for the direction that you've given us as your followers. Would you lead us to be the people that you've called us to be? And, Father, we ask all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.